Revenge of the 80s Kids has been rated P for podcast. camera lingers for a second over a notice board in which it tells you that the brown estate burned to the ground really haunted me it was the thing that most kind of stuck with me as an image after the film you guys probably had completely different experiences but uh, there's a drunk sleeping on the bench in the park uh, they're quite casual about the way that everything's gone rubbish well i have one word to say and that word is hoverboard the revenge of the 80s kids Three guys who were actually in the 80s. They saw things, and now they're going to tell you all about it. Uh, uh, you're seeing things through their kind of fake memories of, of, of being quite young during this period. And at the time it was kind of unpleasant, because I, I had been expecting one thing and I got something else. But in retrospect, I'm like, well, yeah, that was a bit of a... They really got me there. Um, Although that is so, quite glorious. I like, I like a good exposition scene. This is my favourite of my movies that I've ever made, precisely because it shouldn't exist. Mm. Like, people should have said, no, I'm young, attractive guy in this film. But all of a sudden, because he has become the uber-villain of the trilogy, he turns into a psychopath. Fantastic. Oh, I didn't even think about it. You just kind of go, good, right, move on, do whatever needs to be done. Great, where are we going now? It's like, oh, girlfriend, quick, drug her and oh, dump yeah. her out in the open and let's just get on with the story. If you haven't got any kind of, uh, you know, boobies in it, we're not interested. Uh, so, shall we tuck into the first one with a, with, a, with a hearty spoon of joy? I think this is the reason yeah. we're all here. Yeah, I think so. Um, this is the 80s, you know, the age of consumerism. And, and it's like, if you're not ri- making a bunch of money and, you know, realising your dreams uh, as massive piles of cash and uh, goods, then you're a loser. The revenge of the 80s, kids. You can't look back now. So, there we go, Leo. What do you think of my new trailer for our podcast? <laughs> um, Ian, I think we have a problem. Huh? And that problem is that this trailer is not really not doing anything for me. Uh, I, I thought you'd liked horror. P- people like horror. Horror is popular. Horror is indeed very popular. But this, like a lot of horror movies these days, shares a common problem in that it it's just not very good. Uh, it, it's not scary. It, it's not funny. I mean, this is this is horror movies all over. I know that you're not a big horror aficionado, Ian. So maybe you haven't been watching a lot of horror movies recently, but I have, and I can tell you, this is pretty run of the mill, as indeed is most horror. So yes, 
Welcome to the 80s, kids. I did get that right, isn't it? You're not a big horror fan. Uh, it's not something I seek out. No. Uh, and, and indeed, uh, this is, this is, I think this is what draws the line between uh, a horror fan and a non-horror fan, is that uh, if you seek out horror movies, there are always more horror movies to be found. You know, so if you're a horror fan, you go and look and you find a horror movie and you watch it. And uh, there is the, very much the um, the feeling of panning for gold. Uh, there's a lot of gravel in the world of horror. Uh, and this indeed is what we are here tonight to discuss, because uh, Justin will be back with us shortly. Right now, I've been watching a lot of horror movies, basically. It's been the, the holidays. The wife likes horror movies. It would, it's a shame she's not here. She actually isn't physically present or I'd have called her over. So we've been watching a bunch of them. And what I've come to understand, particularly after watching a couple in preparation for our upcoming 2003 show, is that horror is really difficult. And yet there's a, a reverse part of that. Just because something's difficult. Superhero movies, they were difficult. But eventually they cracked the nut. A lot of dollars, a lot of research, and now here we are in this golden age of well, superhero movies. They have a formula, and it's working at the moment, and it isn't yet old. Um, in, well, lieu, in lieu of Justin being here, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, I put in his place a standing fan, which is the buzzing noise you may be hearing in the background. I insist on its uh, location here today because it's 40 degrees. But yes, uh, well, all film is hard, Leo. We have nothing, they make it look easy. But there's the reverse problem, and the reverse problem is this. If you make a bad, like a really bad romantic comedy... Now, there are certain people who are going to argue that all romantic comedies are bad, but you're not... I always take a genre of entertainment as it is intended to be. And although many people don't have much time for Sleepless in Seattle... Those people that like it really like it. Same thing, Notting Hill, all of these things. These are the the yard posts of, of a genre. Uh, the problem is that uh, if if you make a really bad one, it'll lose money. You can you can lose money on a romantic comedy. Not that much money, but you you can lose money on a romantic comedy. You make a bad sort of frat boy comedy, like an unfunny one of those, not only do you lose money, but nobody wants to see that stuff again, really. So, yeah, that can be uh, that can be bad, too. You know, that's the way to kill a franchise, is just to make a bad one. By the time you got to The Hangover Part 3, they were like, yeah, quick, let's grab some cash and run for the exit, because we're not going to be able to do this anymore. Well, and so on. If, so if only they had just kind of phoned it in, but the the sad truth of it is they actually tried to break their own formula and do something new with that film for added failure. Yes, exactly. It, it was, but it was. I think there was also a feeling in the room that they were going to do the best that they could, but the really, you know, even they were like, mm, "This is kind of over now." It was over before we started. It was hangover. <laughs> um, but yeah, so most types of films, science fiction is particularly bad for this. You know, you make a bad science fiction movie, no one wants to see, and you can lose millions of dollars from people not seeing it most of the big failures at the box office are science fiction movies for precisely this reason because they spend a bunch of money doing a bunch of crazy stuff to watch and nobody watches it 
Horror movies, on the other hand, are a bit of a money-in-the-bank proposition. Even if you don't do that well, you still tend to come out in profit, well, which doesn't sound like much of a problem. Science fiction, the media you put science fiction on the cover of something, it's already a barrier for some people. They're just not interested in that genre. It's just the way it is. Horror is, is a bit more universal, because I suppose everyone likes being scared. Not everyone enjoys thinking about, wouldn't it be great to have nice technology around us or something? And also, we do have this annual thing called Halloween, and people do insist on, on like, you know, let's go do something for that. And you know what? It makes it easy. It makes it easy if you can just round up some friends, look in the film guide, go, oh, look what's on down the cinema. That'll be good for a scare. Or all go down and, you know, Commode was whining about this, wasn't he? He was like, people go, will go see these films who don't normally go see films. And they don't know how to behave, so they're screaming and yelping throughout the throughout the thing. And a good time he's had by all, because you all went down there for some jump scares. And jump scares are, let's be honest, easy. End on a cliffhanger because we want them back next year. Done. And that's a that that's what makes them bankable. Plus, horror movies are mostly people talking. As I say, drama is people talking urgently in a room. It's it's people talking subdued for a while, with building tension, with occasional moments of suspense and tension, and maybe only a few money shots of special effects happening at the midpoint and towards the end. You know, it's it's cheap and also social. Yes, well, this is the thing. I mean, yes, all these things are true, but the problem is that the business brain starts to operate on a different level when approaching this, you see. Obviously, I mean, horror movies have always been a bit of a money maker they've always made money and you know universal took great pride in frankenstein and the creature from the black lagoon and all of these things as they justly should because they were you know they were really pushing it and you know i mean let let us not forget that uh after ealing became an unsustainable uh business model hammer hammered out horror hammer house of horror that's what it was the brits found that they could make money as long as they were churning out you know more dracula more frankenstein more wolfman you know all of this stuff yeah Mm -hmm. um and you know then you get to the the sort of the the 60s and beyond the 60s into the 70s and and it starts to be a bit more gruesome uh this is the time of the grindhouse and, and what have you um and then in the 80s, you know, special effects, latex, rubber, uh, the, at a budget you could turn in something, you know, the Evil Dead, Basket Case, uh, well, Nightmare on Elm Street, things like that. And the, all of this time, there was this presumption that if you made something that was a little bit ho-hum, pe- maybe the tide would turn. It was when they discovered that actually people would watch, because it was always a moneymaker, people started to make some really terrible stuff. And as it began to filter through into the consciousness of the business types, that people would watch horror even if it was absolutely, the most horrific thing about it was that somebody had given someone money to produce it. They went, well, why are we spending money on, you know, rubber masks and you know and then scream came by and that was like a rubber carnival mask and and you know people being snarky and 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 you know we're on a slide now saw comes out and you know takes a bunch of money for not really that much budget uh and has a little bit of visual panache a tiny bit and they start you know we start to get into this law of diminishing business returns where we are at present where 
nobody would really make um i mean i know that there was a remake of it uh recently but nobody would attempt to and in fact there's a television series of rosemary's baby but all these like lavish 70s things and you know they tend to go i mean we had dracula untold which was supposedly part of universal reviving their horror genres but they had to make it into a sort of a, a site superhero movie because everybody's doing superhero movies at the moment that nobody went for the the horror uh, in that, you know, when you spend, I mean, that's what's weird about it is that people have started spending money on things like Planet of the Apes and, and the Avengers and stuff like that. But when it comes to stuff that is straight horror, slashers, the odd ghost movie, found footage, and that's well, it because it'll make money. If you want to sell, look, uh, the maximum number of audience is always best. Uh, and by necessity, children shouldn't be watching a horror movie. Whereas they can all go watch an action hero movie. So turn Dracula into an action yeah. hero. Well, that, by the way, well, that, I mean, this is one of the things that people who like action movies complain about bitterly is that, yeah, back in the 80s, you know, uh, Arnold was sticking people to steam pipes and making pithy one-liners. The reason everyone can go see an action movie these days is because they've... Uh, de-violenced them somewhat. I mean, this is one of the... the well, so a problem people identified with Dread was that it was R-rated. And there were, you know, and the raid as well was like, oh, yeah, we love the action, but uh, it, it doesn't pull as many people in because you can't get the maximum audience. What's curious about horror, and this is the thing, is that the audience may not be quite as large, but it's always proportionately, you know, big enough to turn a profit. Always, always. But... The problem becomes that the way to what you what you want to do is for the littlest amount of outlay, make the maximum you want to hit the sweet spot. As a business person, you want to spend as little as possible on the movie and get as many people as possible in to see it. This is one of the reasons why the Blair Witch was so poisonous to the business minds of people who might finance horror movies in that they spent tuppence and made, you know, ridiculous amounts of money out of it and that's what that's the game now the game is try and spend tuppence and rake in and you don't you know once the, the the you've turned that you know gimmick once it's it's very hard to turn it again but mm, yeah well, they, they won't stop people trying I, I, and that's the problem I do have a certain amount of cynicism about the... Oh, what's the found footage? The really lazy one. Camcorder in the house one. Oh, paranormal, paranormal inactivity. Oh, God. That, I mean, the fact that after X number... Is it five now? How many is it? People still uh, haven't gone. Nothing happens. No, no, nothing happens. Uh, they have also got a spin-off um, uh, called Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones. Uh, which people quite liked. I don't know why I've watched it. I don't know why they quite liked it. I really can't tell. The other good one is uh, exorcism movies. That's uh, that's become really well, yeah, big. The thing because- is, I can look at things like Twilight and go, well, you know, it's not my cup of tea. But uh, if you like vampires and love love stories, I suppose this is this could be for you. But I look at Paranormal Activity, and I think when I was a student, when I was like sixteen, seventeen years old. I made movies like Paranormal Activity, uh, a found footage um, horror movie. It's it's entry level. The fact that this is now a standard form 
is really distressing for me because everyone just seems to be still lapping this up. And initially everyone was saying it's because uh, found footage movies give an air of realism that's been lacking for a while from horror movies. But surely that's... Blay, which was how many years ago now? Surely we should be educated in this by now. Well, it's, and it's bollocks anyway. The reason that they do it in found footage is because it costs less money for setups. You know, you get your actors, your actors uh, say their lines, you run around them with a camera, you do as many digital takes as you want, you know, because in the memory of the camera, until you get what you think is probably going to be fine, and you slap it, it takes less time, It, it you don't... You hardly, like any, it. hardly any direction is needed... Special yeah, effects exactly. Are minimal. Because if people sound a bit lackluster, that's kind of it's all part of the 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 mise en scène. It's all part of the realism, which is actually not true because what they've started to have to do almost every one has someone turning to the person with the camera, go turn the camera off like that, and they go no, I'm keeping it for posterity or whatever it is. Um, you know, they're having to work really hard to justify having cameras in those scenarios. You know, it, 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 it's like, you know, and when you see one where they manage to sell you on the idea that everything is cameraed up, um, that's not so bad. I mean, this is why exorcism movies, uh, exorcism and ghost hunter movies are so popular is because you've got a ready made, we are documenting this for the, you know, whatever it is. And, and you, you just, okay, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I think there's there are deeper problems as well, which is that um, it's like you said. We were talking about uh, superhero movies having a formula, and that's why they're popular. Whereas actually, the more popular ones are the ones that tend to move away, you know, tr- try and disavow themselves or try and be something else. You know, everybody gave big props to Captain America last year because it was a sort of Cold War thriller type movie. And uh, Guardians of the Galaxy being a, a sort of Star Warsy space romp, not not really identifiably superhero esque at all, and that kind of thing. Um, and and horror movies definitely formula is death to the horror movie. Unfortunately, it's very easy and it still makes money. You know, like another movie where you've got I'm a priest, I'm going to see someone who might be possessed by a demon, and then you have some contortionist going, you know, basically doing the same dialogue from The Exorcist again, and then you know they sort of spit a bit of ink and you know get bloodshot eye contact lenses and crawl up a wall, and then you know you can't stop the demon, and someone has a car crash, you know, all of this stuff. And it's like, we've, we've seen it, we've seen it, we've seen it. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I, I'll take us back. Remember in the history of time, it's the year is 2006 stroke seven. The place is rugby. We decide to go to the cinema, uh, to what, to use free tickets to watch white noise to the light. You remember that experience? I do. I remember it. it you had, you know, and, and, you had, you had mal from Firefly and, and Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica was there too, the new young hot version of Starbuck. And yeah, it's not even a proper sequel. I think it was a, it was a horror movie and they decided to slap on the white noise franchise logo. Yes. Presumably the Michael Keaton film was remembered fondly or something. I don't know. Remembered fondly by the bank manager of whichever studio had made it. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes, um, I think, you know, we walked out of there 
without without angry logic at it all. What the basic principle is that you, you learn the power to foresee people's deaths. But if you avert those deaths, then three days later, because Christ rose on the third day, this is relevant for some reason, those people become demon-possessed and go on a killer rampage. Uh, so then it, it behooves you to go after and kill those people you've saved to prevent greater tragedies. Is essentially, that's it. And in the end, yeah. after a very brief explanation, uh, Starbuck is more than willing to die, apparently. Uh, well, it was, yeah, and I think that was the thing. It was like um, supernatural plot logic that makes no sense. So the problem is, you see, what we're criticising there is a horror movie. It wasn't found footage. It tried to do something a bit new, and this is the this is one of the problems. And it still probably made money. It was probably fine. It probably didn't make the proportion of money that a lazier, more formulaic, you know, because this is the thing. If you can production line something, it makes it very cheap. So Paranormal Activity is a perfect example of this, where you just cocky cutter the movies out. And that means that every time you do it again, you, you've you learned stuff that co- cuts costs again. And people still tromp in their masses to go and see it. And they buy it on DVD and they watch it on streaming services. And it makes everyone a ton of cash. But, you know... Uh, artistically bankrupt. I mean, you know, I don't want to be harping on it, but it, it's like, you know, because we know that uh, from decades of experience, there are always people who have disengaged their critical faculty waiting to watch a horror movie. That's what you get. And then you come up with something like White Noise, and it's like White Noise 2 or The Light or whatever you want to call it, and they've tried to do something different. They've roped it into an existing franchise. And then what people come out and say is, but it just was lame. I think and a horror writer... A, a, a new writer who tries to do a bit of horror has to learn the hard way is that it's really hard to disturb people with nonsense. Like there has to be some kind of inevitability or underlying logic to what you're writing that makes people disturbed by it. I mean, this is why, despite the fact that H.P. Lovecraft was a terrible writer, he exists. He has managed to outlive his time because what, he got probably not in a dispassionate way probably because it was very close to his heart was that this invoking this feeling that we were these tiny specks of irrelevant cosmic dust at the mercy of gigantic unfeasibly insanity inducingly gigantic creatures who we couldn't even hope to understand and that they didn't they they didn't asking whether they care about us is like asking us whether we care about microbes you know it, 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 and that that getting people and just hitting them on that spot is something that makes a kind of you you feel a bit in your pessimistic moments yeah that makes sense and that's the point if your horror movie at the end goes out that that made no sense whatsoever you've failed to scare them because what's really weird about it is that Although it's true that, you know, people talk about senseless tragedy and, yeah, a lot of stuff happens that doesn't make any sense. When it comes to telling a ghost story or a horror movie or whatever, the audience have to have it make some kind of sense for them. But that sense must not be trite or pat or because the original White Noise had that problem. It was like, yeah, you kind of understood what they were getting at, but it was just boring. What's the... Well, the it, issue? it felt like it was influenced by the wave of uh, J horror that we had uh, in the late nineties, or when it, because they had yes. those, the ghosts were like the the three uh, malicious ghosts 
always got, traveled around this trio and there were just kind of indistinct shadows that menaced and moved on you. Um, so yeah, the, the, that, that was that film. I don't know what the origins of, wait, other than this thing about, hey, what if someone could foresee people's deaths? Ooh, what were the consequences of that? Ooh, and then coming up with a really stupid answer. Because Christ rose on the third day, and so when people survive their death, they go evil, I think. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's something, I but this is the point. That's exactly, you've, you've put your finger right on it there. It was like, um, we, I watched in preparation for the 2003 show upcoming, uh, soon, uh, same back time, same back channel, uh, Darkness Falls. Uh, I also watched Freddy versus Jason. Uh, now, Freddy versus Jason was just about as tired and ridiculous as you can manage. And it's because, uh, both the Freddy and Jason franchises at that point had settled into a nice, comfortable rut. And this was just the pairing of two ruts into one mega rut. Uh, it became like a sort of ridiculous, gory, new metal, laced, richy, and scratchy cartoon. Um, but Darkness Falls, same year, was a new concept in horror. And they actually tried to do the old Freddy Jason monster thing. Uh, you know, and all, all props to them for trying, where they had this uh, old woman ghost in a porcelain mask. But then, I mean, but then... They proceeded to execute their idea so ham-fistedly, so wrongly, so badly, that it's just, it was impossible to be scared by it, because you kept going, well, this doesn't make any sense, because you've told us up front, you know, that it doesn't make any sense. That, you know, it spends the first minute of the film on a little sort of PowerPoint presentation style thing, explaining exactly where the ghost comes from and who they are, um, in a way that makes no sense whatsoever. Well, and I think like, I think we we do kind of disqualify ourselves. This I'm trying to <clears throat> put this in a way that doesn't make it sound like I'm being elitist or haughty. We are overly analytical people, and I think these brand of horror movies are just not made for us, Leo. They're not made for someone who sits there and thinks it through and like ha- wants to talk about plot logic afterwards with their friends. My sister watches uh, a lot of horror movies, uh, and she will watch things like, what's that scary doll thing that came out this year? There was, oh, uh, oh, the what, the sequel to the other. Yes. Well, well, the, well, the first one, because she, she saw the first one. Now, I haven't actually seen the first film, but everyone, the, the waves the of... Conjuring, the Conjuring, that was the, the first Conjuring, one. The waves the of derision I, I, I got about The Conjuring was just like, you know, I, I'm sure the internet reviewers throughout the land were rejoicing because I can now put out a video slamming this terrible horror movie. More views, please. And she went and saw it and saw it with some friends and said it was great. And regaled me with the cliffhanger and all the bumps and scares that happened along the way. In many ways, Leo, you know, these are made for people who, when they counter a film, come with, with a certain amount of, not innocence, but they will let the film come to them and they will absorb it like a sponge. And we are not film sponge absorbers, are we, Leo? We are film digesters and regurgitators. So these things don't pass think- our muster. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, actually, the the Conjuring uh, got fairly good write-ups across the board, uh, except in a few quarters where they pointed out that it was... I mean, it is basically sort of the Amityville horror again, 
uh, with some possession stuff and what have you. I mean, you know, to the extent where, you know, people who've seen a lot, I mean, that's the problem. I think there's some people who just watch it uncritically, like you say, and then there's other people who watch a lot of it and maybe they watch it while they're doing something else, like a crossword or something. They're not really paying attention. And one of the things, you know, there's that uh, comfort of repetition. So the fact that it's exactly the same as three dozen other movies is actually of a comfort to them. And I've even been there. I mean, you know, I love, you know, you put, you make, if you make The Crow again today, I mean, not rebooted it, uh, as they, in fact, they are planning to do, but actually made another Crow sequel in the proper vein with all the heavy metal music and some guy picking off gangsters in a kind of goth, you know, a 90-minute goth rock music video. I would lap that shit up. I would just watch that over and over again, and I know I would because yeah, but I do. that's different um, because the, the Crow has staples to it. I mean, it's a revenge story. So, I mean, how can I put this? It's like porn, Leo. Uh, most porn scenes are pretty much identical when you get down to analysing them. But it's the fact it's different people involved each time. It's, that's kind of how it is with the crow, Leo. It's a different set of evil people need to be taken down. It's a different guy who's been killed and has different loved ones who's still alive being menaced by whatever evil's going on. It's not like you have to have particular beats. Without this movie. You can do whatever you like with the basic formula of dead guy comes back from the grave for revenge with a crow theme. Ultimately. Yeah, I mean, that's fine. And, and indeed, therefore, what you've just done is defended all of these. Oh, we just moved into our new house and now there's some evil thing buried under the, the crawl space. Well, yes and no. I mean, at the end of the day, from... with a crow movie, you've got revenge, death, you've got bad guys to go after. With people moving into your house and, and going through all the twee stuff at the beginning, uh, I resist that because I just want to reach for the remote control and fast forward to an interesting bit because I've seen this movie already it was same when i saw ronin the 44 ronin whatever i just wanted to fast forward yes i've seen that yes now there's going to be a big misunderstanding la, 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 la. Uh, and you know unless they're actually moving into a house and immediately finding bodies in the basement it's not interesting you know it's 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 just characters doing a domestic thing and we're supposed to familiarize ourselves with them so we can get invested later when scary things start happening and my brain just goes into resistance because it's yeah. like I've well, done... yeah, and there's lots of... when I was 10 years old this was great I I lapped this up but I've just been too many times around the block I'm cynical oh, yeah, I'm not great. a sponge yeah, well, I, I mean, that's the, the, that's the thing. I mean, there's lots of people that uh, object to the crow on the grounds that they don't really care for the music, they don't like the tattoos or the leather, they don't like they don't like all the stuff that makes it what it is. And you, what you're saying is you don't really care anymore about all the stuff that make those domestic uh, haunted haunted house movies what they are. But there are lots of people that watch them, and I, you know, therefore they all have their place. And I'm not objecting to people going and enjoying a movie. What I'm objecting to is that. Because those things, lazy, formulaic, repetitious, unimaginative or just plain bad things are fine to make money with, nobody ever tries to push it anymore. Like, you know, if you I mean, I was thinking about this the other day in the 80s. We had, you know, um, the end of the James Herbert era. But we had, you know, Sean Hudson and Dean Koontz and and, and, and obviously Stephen King started the, the ball rolling. But of the contemporary age, not counting people who write paranormal romance fiction, who's the big horror writer of the modern age? People don't really read horror anymore. The scariest thing people read is probably <clears throat> Harry Potter. 
But they must. I mean, I should go and have a look at a horror horror section of a bookshop. But the point is that in the same way, there are people who like horror books the way that people like horror movies. That audience, you know, hasn't shrunk particularly. Uh, I'm sure if I asked my mum, she read a lot of horror books that she's probably still reading them. The point is we don't make a fuss about it because they're not Stephen King level. Stephen King still exists. Um, <clears throat> which, you know, <clears throat> is great for him. Maybe not so good for the horror industry anymore. Um, I'm not a great fan of, I used to read a lot of Stephen King when I was younger. I'm not a great fan of adaptations of Stephen King. There are very few that work. Not, there are not many that work, at, you know, very much at all. That's, 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 that's a universal truth that there is very few good Stephen King adaptations. You can count them yes, on yes. hand, and there's been a lot of them. Yeah. But when you think about it, to a certain degree, I mean, you know, uh, he doesn't like The Shining. He prefers the, the, the Kubrick film. He prefers the television movie because it sticks closer to the original. Whatever, I'm not going to get into that debate. But the point is that The Shining has a story either way. It does the kind of haunted house on a scale in a way that is inherently interesting. Uh, in a way, you know, Stephen King whatever you else you want to say about him, brought some new stuff into the horror game. And for a while, I think possibly that did have an effect. I mean, it's the same way. I watched uh, From Beyond. You know, when we were talking about that in a show we haven't broadcast yet about, uh, the, you know, we talked about From Beyond. So I've ruined that spoiler for our own show in the future. But I watched that the other day. And in the 80s, you had these horror directors who were, you know... Uh, pioneering, uh, it, it, mostly because they had weird friends who liked to make gruey things out of rubber. And that was, you know, wow, that's crazy. How can we build a movie around this? Uh, and, of course, uh, From Beyond is subtitled or uh, overtitled H.P. Lovecraft's From Beyond, uh, which is hilarious because the number of sex dungeons in H.P. Lovecraft's writing, zero. The mm. number of sex dungeons in From Beyond, one. You see, we're already leaving the behind the plot. But uh, to be fair, uh, on the other side of that, um, it does stick. Uh, you can see where they've taken the basic idea of an H.P. Lovecraft short story and, you know, freestyled it out into a Charles Band exploitation 80s horror flick. Um, so, yeah, uh, following on from Reanimator, which was also by the same people. And it's just the fact that there isn't, you know, people hit that kind of thing by accident now. They don't, they, nobody's going out and looking. At the time, you know, when Reanimator, after Reanimator was a success, they went back to Brian Usner and they said, and uh, Stuart Gordon and said, you know, do something like that again. And those guys went away and they had a good think and they, they came up with From Beyond. And that's the thing that I'm missing is people actually having it, you know, uh, Insidious is actually one of my favourite horror franchises and I don't believe that the same, because this is James Wan and all of that crew again uh, the guys, Eli Roth and all those people um, when they made Insidious, I don't think that they thought they were doing anything particularly different than they'd done with you know Paranormal Activity and all of these other things and, and uh, you know it was another kind of low budget uh the, the twist of this in their mind was that it is your son that is haunted, not the house. 
that was their idea that that's what the twist was. But that's not the twist at all. The twist is that the that. Have you seen Insidious? Do you know Insidious? No, I haven't seen Insidious. Insidious introduces the idea of the astral plane. And it says, you know, like, yes, there can be ghosts on the astral plane. But that's not all there is. That ghosts can exist not on the astral plane. That, you know, the world of the dead is is something we've we've been through it. You know, you've seen paranormal activity, all of this kind of stuff. Um, And they don't talk about demons either in Insidious. They just talk about entities that are inside the astral plane. And the astral plane is like a sort of day glow, day glow David Lynch PlayStation advert. And they, they talk about the, the wrong geography that you start off, you know, you put yourself into a trance in a chair with some kind of focus and then you, you go to the, you know, alternative version in the astral plane. But then they warn you, you will start out in a place that is very much like the room you're in now. But when you go through the door, it could lead anywhere and, and, Geography isn't the same. Getting back to your body is difficult because you keep thinking of things in three dimensions, like a real world. But it's not like that at all. You have to use concepts to get back to yourself and chain them together. And all of this kind of, well, that, that's, a, that's a very interesting take on how to do astral projection in a film medium. That's interesting. Oh, yeah, no, and it is totally. And the second one is complete nonsense. You know, a lot of people got a bit brand off with it when they got to the second one because it, it gets to that so but i again i'm like yeah i like this this is imaginative it actually pushes you and it and you know it, there's something here to take away and it, you know it, there's a big drought of you walk into a horror movie and you walk out again and you're like yeah it's not that you need this this constant parade of originality but you at least need it to sort of well no i mean this, this is kind of the point um, I'm in favour of slashing film budgets. Certain films do need to have an expensive $200 million budget, perhaps. But for the most part, I feel I'll watch a film and just go, well, this is bloated. This, this had unnecessariness in it. And so, in principle, I'm all in favour of a low-budget movie that is aiming to take in less money as well, but by comparison will make more, you know, for you'll get to break even, a film has to make $3 back for every dollar spent on it. And you can make that with a low-budget movie. And I'm all in favour of going that way. And looking around, you know, horror used to be monsters, but monsters are rubbery or CGI. Either way, it's expensive and you're taking a risk. But what can we do for horror that's cheap? Oh, ghosts and demons. Ghosts and demons are bloody cheap. And it's our frustration isn't the fact they fall into a, a rut of ghosts and demon and possession movies. It's that they're, what they're doing is just so numbing and boring and it's bad this is what's yes. frustrating us yeah because if it hit right i mean to take darkness falls as a, an example you start the movie with a sort of a 60 second expo of stuff that in the past a producer a money man would have said why are you telling all these people this stuff in this powerpoint presentation who cares get on with scaring people which is exactly the right issue this is the thing what is really frustrating about this is that what a horror what a, a ghost story a horror movie however you want to put it that kind of thing really is is a carnival sideshow and therefore to approach it you don't approach it like a writer people being too writerly they're writing a thing about a character who has an arc and all this no 
horror stories are about cram them in, give them a cheap thrill and send them on their way. And because you're not thinking in those terms, you do this whole explanation of you're about to see this thing and this woman did this and this is how she died. And then she put on a porcelain mask or something. And, you know, and you're, oh, Christ, we don't care. What we care about is that when you switch the lights out, there's this crazy thing made out of dark bed sheets and a porcelain mask that's going to eat your face. That's what we care about. So forget why. Just get on with that. And the second part about it is... If you want to, like, disturb people, they have this whole prologue in which they set up some of the rules. Not all of the rules. In fact, they do quite a job of over-subtlety, I think is what it is. Because I realised by, you know, when someone had done the bit, we go, no, you have to understand, this is how it works. And I went, oh, they demonstrated all that in the prologue, but I didn't get it because I didn't, I didn't see what was going on. It has got you to be said. Show me, really. I, I think, was, unless, you, unless you have a seriously dense science fiction film, you don't need to start your film with a rolling load of text explaining things to you. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, it wasn't, it was, it was like I said, it was a PowerPoint presentation. It was like some kind of uh, a voice. It was like a documentary type of thing. It was really weird. But no, but then you had this kind of prologue scene in which, you know, a little boy is doing this, that and the other. And they also had this thing, which I can understand was a hook when you start writing it, but let, where it was about people putting teeth under their pillows. But actually that was completely irrelevant to the whole thing. So they may as well have dropped that and stuck with the monster and concentrated on what the monster was, how it was. But then, and then I after you've gone through that, so you're about 10 minutes into this movie and you've got this girl who's take, got a very young brother. Like so She's like, what, 21, 22, and she's taken her little brother who's like eight or nine and he can't sleep. I don't know what happened to her parents, actually. I, I'm sure they probably explained it. But for some reason, they're all they've got in the world together and, and he can't sleep and blah, blah, blah. Now, what Stephen King would say to you is, that's where you hit them. Because nobody, I mean, yeah, monsters are fine. Everybody loves a monster. But to get your audience, you really got to play up the melodrama of, oh, me and my brother are alone in the world and he won't sleep because he believes there's something in the dark and I don't believe it. And yet they wait 10 minutes for that. And when they get to it, they realize, oh, we better get this movie moving. And they move straight past into the next part of the movie. And you're like, what are you doing? Why? Mm. Because then, and then you've got this other can, and it gets very complicated after that. But the point is that it's like what Stephen King understood, um, because he's a very much, I mean, all of his writing about horror is about this huckster mentality of the freak show of getting people in, going booga booga, and then sending them on their way. And he always said, you know, and this is probably played into why his books are famous for having all these richly detailed characters and relationships and this melodramatic thing is that if you get people where they live in terms of the characters straight away and then introduce the monster, it's that thing we always used to talk about when we were writing things. We need to understand the whole metaphysics of it. The audience needs to understand why they should care. That's about it. Mm. I mean, Stephen King also, um, as I understand his writing style, you know, he'd start the chapter with the, the girl with her younger brother and her younger brother can't sleep, so she's trying to sort him out. And while she's doing that, the whole her backstory and everything would come out in the prose and then jump scare. Whereas obviously when you film that, it's kid wakes, 
Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. You see, that's when you, when you actually adapt the novel because people want to read, you know, w- one thing, but they want to see another thing in film. So to make a film the same way that you would write the a book, you have to do it a slightly different way. And you know, uh, nobody's saying that Stephen King is perfect because he keeps coming back to characters who are writers who are, you know, especially the hor- the the genre writer it doesn't have to be horror but genre writer sometimes who's trying to break away from all that cheap genre nonsense and do something literary and you're like hmm yeah i'm not sure that that character really you know a lot of people yeah. can relate uh, i'm wondering why you think it's such a bang good idea it's, it's writers shouldn't write about writers because when they do it's usually about writers having writer's block which normally get over by murdering people or having sex with someone they wouldn't normally shoot for uh yeah also up there with actors playing actors is another nerk of mine but anyway proceeding on uh, yeah so um, yeah but i mean uh, with those exceptions when stephen king gets it right he is to- and when he's writing theory in theory it's it's a bit like uh people used to tell me about um uh, Bertolt Brecht, who worked in German theatre, who used to write a lot of theatre theory, drama theory, that he then would completely ignore when he actually put on a play. And it's exactly the same thing. Stephen King writes a great theory, but then when he comes to write a novel, to make it work for him, he has to do things that are against what he's actually told, you know, said, well, this now won't work as well because I've done this instead of that. But that's not, a, I mean, you know, this is the, you know, where where we come down to the central problem is... That kind of thinking, that kind of, uh, I mean, it, it's not dead. You know, uh, American Horror Story is alive and well on television and doing a great job. And exactly, the, you know, they've got every button pressed uh, in this sort of grand guignol gothic tale of, of horror. And, you know, and I mean, you know, people are complaining about the fact that, I mean, I think it's a sign of, of them having hit a right button. There were a lot of people complaining about how every series seems to uh, at some point involve someone being the child of rape. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's because they're trying to they're trying to revolt you. They're trying to disgust you. They're trying to push the buttons. And the fact that you are bitterly complaining about this means that you feel it's inappropriate, in which case, in this story, it's entirely appropriate because you've you've had a, a visceral reaction to what you're seeing. Okay. Um, I mean, okay. Our problem is that they're, they're churning out movies, uh, not for much money, that make enough buck that it's a self-perpetuating machine and people seem to be watching it. Our frustration is to like to fix it. So what would be a short list of things that they could be doing just to make these films better? Because there's nothing wrong with a ghost movie. There's nothing wrong with a demon possession movie in principle. I'm always technically up for one of those if it's a good story. So what's going to happen here, Leo? Well, I I think, I mean, you know, I'm going off off the reservation here to new things. Uh, there is, of course, the website American Zoetrope, where people can submit stuff. For, for review i don't think there's very much success in selling well i think the way you sell a script is different to the way that you you get it sort of ready for whatever but i think that there's a definite thing where you should people will read horror scripts once you get your head around reading a screenplay or what you know seeing a screenplay unfold in your head as a film, but you'll just happen to be reading it instead of watching it, you know, imagining it happening rather than actually seeing it. Uh, it's, it's pretty much similar to watching a movie. It doesn't even take that much longer to read the script, really, because it's a script. Yeah. 
Um, so really they need to, I think that to decide what to produce, they need some model of getting enthusiasts to vet scripts. Because the problem they've got at the moment is that the methods for buying scripts, because remember you buy a script and then you get another writer to retool it and go over it again and again and again. And, and it works. You know, I'm not saying it doesn't work. It works for certain things. I don't think it works for horror. And I don't mind, you know, so I heard a, a, a podcast recently of people moaning about how Hellraiser had four movies that were actually Hellraiser movies. And then it has another four or five movies, if you count the last last one, which I haven't even seen, but I, I don't really count it. But because it doesn't have Doug Bradley in it. So Doug Bradley being pinhead for me is the mark of Hellraiser. But then they said, well, Hellraiser 5, 6, 7 and 8 are all other horror scripts that that the comp that the studio owned and they went ah oh, let's stuff pinhead in it making a hellraiser movie now they were saying well that just completely betrays what hellraiser is all about whereas i say no for me it broadens because you identify they don't just do it with anything they don't make paranormal like hellraiser paranormal activity and then at the end of the fan footage Pinhead turns up. They don't do that. What happens is that producer goes, you could make a Hellraiser movie out of this script. And they've picked only four scripts that they thought, yeah, I mean, I haven't watched one of them. That might be terrible. But the other three are actually all right. Uh, because they've picked things where you go, yeah, you could put Pinhead in this. And that just broadens the whole Hellraiser concept to me personally. And, yeah, and, I don't, it, and in revising it to put, Hel- put Pinhead in there, um, have they kept sort of true to the mythology that exists? Yeah, I mean, it, it, so they, they made, because the point is that the mythology is pretty, you know, lament configuration, work it out, Pinhead turns up and eats your soul in some fashion. Hellraiser 5 is was a, a, a film about uh, a dirty cop who descends into hell over the course of the movie and then they went well how about he descends through hell because there's a case where he finds the lament configuration and he meddles about with it and then slowly pinhead rather than just turning up with the chains and putting him into the and somebody was saying yeah but the point is that pinhead spoke you're supposed to want pinhead to turn up it's like a sadomasochism analogy kind of thing it's like yeah but does it have to be I'm not sure that it does. I'm sure that he could do, oh, I used to work in sadomasochistic damnations, but I've moved department now. I've had a promotion. Do you know what I mean? It, it doesn't have to be. I like the way that Pinhead played a sort of surrealist Satan in that one. It was good uh, for me. I like I it. think by the time and you get, seven, to get to the fifth film, it's fine to try something new. Yeah. And then in seven, um, there's a cult that worships the Cenobites. And it's a sort of a, a really nasty kind of uh, Eastern European death cult, which originally was just a sort of Satan worshipping cult. But then the thing is that it, I think this is the point. I think what happens is they take movies where it's the devil and they go, well, instead of the devil, could it be Pinhead? And the good thing about it is that then when they get the person to do a revise that, that takes that replaces Satan with Pinhead. What they tend to do is they go, oh, and here's some visual imagery that's Hellraiser-esque. And that instantly makes it more interesting. It's a bit like The Crow in that respect. It, it, it makes it sort of, uh, they, they make the way the beats play out work in a slightly different way. And, and for me, that works. So, yeah, well, more of that kind of thing would be good. But this is what I'm saying. I think that you need... 
You need to have the scripts vetted in a different way. The ones that people say, oh, I'd like to see this made into a movie. I, because the point is, those people who we've all, we've mm, criticised for being uncritical, that will be happily go along and be given any kind of horror experience and they'll find it fine. They're not going to spend their time combing through a slush pile. But the kind of people who will comb through a horror slush pile to make the best horror movies happen are the kind of people who will go, I've seen this, I've seen this, this is terrible, no, I don't like this, this doesn't work, I'm not scared by this, I don't understand what this person is trying to say. They're all that kind of person, that kind of horror fan, and they'll only pick out those movies. They might, they're might. they still not all going to be to my taste. Some There'll be an active subgenre of people who like the horror scripts of movies that I have no time for. But at least you'll know that it isn't just, as you say, you know, the family domestic possession stroke ghost story thing again mm. with slightly louder banging doors, and different creaking pipes and different things hidden on top of different wardrobes, what have you. You know, it'll be something else. It'll be people trying to push it. Because by the time it gets there, somebody will have gone, well, this is a bit different. Let's do this. And it can be just as cheap. That's the thing. It's like you say. They can be just as cheap. But it's just the, the writing. I think that's the, the thing. If you're going to spend money on anything, spend money on a writer. Because... Well, there's a controversial point of view. Well, because... Well, it's, I mean, years ago I saw those sort of... Uh, thing that never went any further uh, I probably told you about it at the time Gabriel, did you ever did I ever tell you about that? You probably did It was kind of an angelic action movie with a sort of a post-apocalyptic purgatory and uh, the angel Gabriel martial arts and doing super fighting through this kind of uh, urban decay and what have you, it was pretty decent the only problem was that the writing really let it down because it was like the director worked some good stuff. The actors were doing it for love. The producer was working the budget for all it was worth. And they kind of threw together a script that would allow them to do all this stuff. And I think that if they had a better script, it would have had further legs and gone a bit, you know, gone a bit better. Well, but they, they just didn't. So It's it's this distinction between what's bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a case of films so bad they're good. We've all seen films, we've put it on with our mates, and we've just laughed our ass off at this movie, taking the piss out of it. You can't do that with these films. They're just boring. Uh, yes, that's the point. If there's something, I mean, I, one of the ones I watched recently, not for research or anything, just because people had sort of said it was a bit of a, bit of a hoot, was Dead Snow. You know, Nazi zombies in Norway, I want to say. Probably Norway. Yeah. Mm. Terrible. Like, really, you know, really not. Just, it wasn't, you know, I suppose that to a certain, it was mildly diverting, but it didn't say anything, really, about, you know, the Nazi zombies could have been any type of zombie. They don't have to be Nazi zombies. They're only Nazi zombies to make something for the cover. And it's like, that's the bit that I didn't... I didn't really like. I thought, if you're going to do Nazi zombies, you have to sit down and ask the question, what's different about a Nazi zombie? And the answer in this case is absolutely nothing. They're just zombies in Nazi uniforms. Yes, Nazis you know, versus zombies would have been more interesting. 
Actually, that Final would be an interesting movie. Final yes. Destination. Final Destination. If all the victims were Nazis, I might watch that because my half my problem with Final Destination is these people don't really deserve to die. Whereas if it's like all oh, these Nazis used to run a concentration camp and suddenly getting picked off by death one by one, that's interesting. I'll watch that. Well, Final Destination. Uh, I mean, in a way, is that is a different type of carnival sideshow. The makers of Final Destination, in fact, say as much. And uh, really, I suppose where you come down on that is, uh, do you? Uh, the point is that if you watch a lot of horror movies, you see a lot of really annoying teenagers. And if you've developed the kind of hatred of really annoying teenagers that most horror aficionados have, watching a bunch of them get killed in imaginative ways is such a catharsis from all of the films where they're, it's just like, who are you people? Why do you? I mean, this is one of the things that always gets me about films that have teenagers in them. You always have to have teenagers going to parties, drinking a lot, acting like complete tools. And it's like, and they're excusing, oh, they're young. It's like, yeah, but uh, one, I don't remember much of that when I was a teenager. Two, people who have that kind of experience when they're a teenager later come back to go, I just wasted a bunch of time and I had nothing to show for it. And I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and there's something about teenagers in horror movies where because they're being acted by pretty bad actors and they're just, everybody knows, thinks they know exactly what they're doing. There's something very smug. You know, that's the thing. I think that teenagers who are partying a lot, when they do them well, when a film really portrays them, the actors have managed to pin down this idea that, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just doing it because I've got no idea what I'm doing. And I'm a bit scared by that. I'm a bit scared by myself. Whereas in all the other occasions, which is 90% of them, they're all like, hey, we're young and we're beautiful and we're by the pool and we're drinking beer and we're having sex. Aren't we brilliant? And you're like, kill them. Kill them now. Who <laughs> um, yeah, sex prepared to die? Yeah, well, well, th- th- this was the uh, Friday the 13th and, and indeed broader slasher thesis, you know. But it, I mean, it wasn't just that. It was the fact that uh, I think it is that general air. You've read in the script that your character goes to a party and has a drink and hangs around with women taking their tops off or are a woman, you know, drinking, hanging out with cute boys or whatever it is. And therefore you go, well, they're having a good time. So when you act it, you act someone having a good time. Whereas the people who are really clever act someone who is technically having a good time. But inside they're going, is this me? Am I really doing? Is this really what I'm told? This is what I want. But is it really what I want? And if they manage to capture that exact thing, they become 90 percent less annoying at a stroke. I think this is one of the reasons why uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's character in Halloween is so lauded. In the Jamie Lee Curtis did in fact she was like I'm not getting involved in all the crazy stuff all you other kids are doing. I'm going to be a bit more sensible. I'm going to try and be a bit more grounded. That's the kind of atmosphere that you're you're really looking for. So mm. yeah. So uh, I think we've sort of uh, come to the end of this moan. Yeah. Extended Kick off the year with a nice, long moan. A big, big whinge about stuff. A couple of years ago, I didn't see the second Purge movie due to the fact that it snuck through the cinema stealthily without really making uh, much of an impact. And I wouldn't have minded seeing it. Because I think sometimes when you get away from 
uh, ironically, when the creators of something kind of get away from, hey, I've got this really good idea, and then they make it, and like, that wasn't a very good idea. It was mm, meh. It was average at best. But Thor Marks are trying. Yeah. When you get away from that, then you go, we want a sequel. That's when they start to think a bit more cynically. I think that's the thing. I think the horror writer needs a healthy dose of cynicism. And you just need to be like, that'll get them. That'll get them. <laughs> and, and that's that's what we need. So I'm hoping that, you know, we're going to see a bit more of that coming up. Uh, I know it's a vain hope. Uh, but one of the interesting avenues for, for anyone who's interested in, uh, in in seeing some a lot of horror movies is that uh, straight to DVD uh, horror has become a thing. I know when you look in a, you know, one of the outlets for such entertainments and you see them, you think, yeah, I'm not going to buy that because it didn't come out of the cinema. But really, it's just a production venue now. So sometimes you see some quite interesting stuff there. Unfortunately, you have to somehow acquire it to understand whether it's worthwhile or not. But yes, that's that would be my advice. Watch out for those things. Uh, if, if, on the other hand, people want to discuss anything else with us, Ian, where might they go to do that? Well, one place they can go will be our Facebook page, which you can find on Facebook forward slash Revenge of the 80s Kids. And that's 80s as in numbers, your 80s. Uh, please go there and subscribe to our page. No, you don't. Please go there and like our page. Uh, we put up links to our podcast there, as well as links we find interesting. But uh, podcasts are what it's all about. And for those who want to point your web browser towards 80s Kids, and that's 80s as in letters, so E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S kids.podomatic.com, please go there and like our page. No, subscribe to our podcast using the podcast aggregator of your choice or download your PC for dark, horrific reasons of your own. Uh, this is only where our most recent podcasts can be found. For the legacy of our podcasts, you must go to... LeoStableford.com, where uh, you can indulge yourself with the entirety of the uh, 80s, half of the 70s, and all of the 90s. Uh, so that's uh, a good thing, surely, as well as other podcasts uh, of, of various types. Um, if, if, on the other hand, uh, you're missing Justin and uh, wish to see something of his, then you can go to Justin Wyatt. Uh, justin.wyatt.deviantart.com where you can see examples of his work uh, so that's all the plugs done and uh, I'm in the mood now to go and root around and try and find some more interesting horror movies so that's something I may do later what about you Ian? well I'm going to crawl down from the ceiling I've been suspended on the entire time and I don't know probably spider crawl somewhere else in the house and then spray pea soup around Oh, good idea, good idea. So uh, as we're engaged in that, uh, you uh, go off and have a, a horrific new year, everyone out there in this land. Uh, bye-bye. Farewell. Yeah, I really feel now I should have done the outro in Aramaic, now that you've upped the game there, but never mind. <laughs> uh, whatever possessed me, or didn't possess me. Oh, the end on a groan. <laughs>
like the ending. I, I remember watching that, and it was so satisfying that. Uh, presumably, this was the cynicism of the eighties about the impending d- destruction of the world in nuclear war or something. Uh, I may have once possibly watched a bit of it out of morbid curiosity. And your conclusion after this experience? I seem to have remember it not being very good. But I'm sure the Sci-Fi Channel are working on it now. 